Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The king of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. We're going to now read from Luke 9, verses 18 to 36. Uh, page 1044 in your Bibles. Luke 9, verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. 
And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Josh, and yes, I got the dress code from Tom. I think it's good. Uh, the thing he did for me this morning is made me go, man, that is the best case scenario for my future. Um, and so hopefully that's what I can aspire to be like. Um, let's pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, may my words be your words this morning, and may your words change our life and give us life. Amen. Have you ever learned something uh, that changes how you do and think about everything? Uh, for me, uh, when I was a child, I was always taught the most important thing is to share and not take things off other people. And I thought, that this is the worldview that shapes everything that I'm going to do. Uh, I was a very conscientious child, and so sharing and not taking things off other people was a very big deal for me. Uh, when I played with my friends and my cousins, I made sure that everybody shared, that no one took things off one another. Uh, I would call it being very helpful, following the rules. Uh, you might call it being a snitch and a controlling little kid. Uh, who knows? But this belief extended beyond the playground and at home. It's, it extended to playing sport. Uh, when my parents signed me up to start playing in a soccer team, I would play and I'd get told, you have to tackle people. You have to get something that doesn't belong to you and get it off the other team. And I thought, that's not right. The truth that I know deeply is that you're meant to share, not take things off other people. And so I, would, I couldn't. I'd just start crying. I didn't understand this sport. What is this game that goes against all of my beliefs as a five-year-old? What I did was controlled by my deep belief that I had. Uh, have you ever learned something that changes how you do and think about everything? It's a trivial example, right? Uh, but God wants you to have a moment a bit like that this morning, in a much more real and profound way. God wants to teach you something that will change how you do and think about everything. Uh, this passage wants to ask us a question, and it will show us the implication of the answer, because the answer is something that will save your life. And it's something that will cost you your life. The answer God's going to show us this morning is something that will save your life and it will cost you your life. Uh, we'll see that by getting to wrestle with two questions in the text. First one is, who is Jesus and how do you follow him? Who is Jesus and how do you follow him? Uh, if you're here and you're someone who doesn't know Jesus or you haven't put your trust in Jesus yet, it is so wonderful that you're here this morning. Uh, God wants you to wrestle with the question, who is Jesus. And he wants to show you the answer is so important, it will determine where you spend eternity. If you're someone who does know Jesus, God wants you to not grow cold to the realities of his son. He wants to refresh your soul by showing you Jesus in sharp clarity, by showing you a picture of Jesus in glory. It's wonderful. And he wants to reorient and shake up what we think it means to follow him, and he wants to confront us and move us to follow Jesus in the way he truly desires. It's a spectacular passage. Let's have a look at it. 
Point one, who is Jesus? Have a look at verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard all about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by, other, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Jesus has been doing amazing things. There's widespread intrigue about him. He's the man no one can ignore. Even Herod, the, the ruler of Galilee, he wants to know, who is this man? It's the right question. If you hear of the things that Jesus did, that he said, that he claimed to be, it draws you in to find out more. It's the right question. Who is this man? But it's not just the right question because Jesus did amazing things that are worth finding out about. It's it's the right question because it's the question that Jesus himself asks of us. Have a look at verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And Jesus asked his mate, who does everyone say I am? Now, that seems a bit self-indulgent, doesn't it? Have you ever tried to ask that question to a crowd of people before? Who does everyone say I am? Probably won't go well for you. Uh, is Jesus just doing a bit of market research to see how and where his name is trending? No. It's that Jesus knows how important it is that people get who he is. There's a range of answers that come out. Some say John the Baptist, Elijah, a prophet back from the dead... Now, they're probably not the answers that we'd give if I put out a poll this morning, but those are answers that reflect two things that I think are the same for us. They knew that Jesus was significant. His power was undeniable. But they're not exactly sure what to make of him. And it's still the same today, I think. Most people aren't exactly sure what to make of Jesus. But most people also know he was someone probably significant. He's had some kind of deep significance on our world. Weirdly, did you notice Jesus asks the question and then he ignores the answer? It's because he wants to ask the more important question. He wants to ask the most important question, verse 20. But who do you say that I am? The important question isn't who do they say I am, it's who do you say that I am? That's the question that holds weight. That's the question that determines and changes everything. We'll see the answer to that question will determine eternity. That's the question Jesus wants to ask you. Who do you say Jesus is? What would you say? How do you get the answer? Well, we're going to look at three massive things that chapter 9 tells us about who Jesus is. Let's have a look at them. First thing we learn about Jesus is he is the Christ. Have a look at verse 20. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. Now that is a massive, hugely significant answer. Jesus is the Christ of of God. That is, he's the long-promised Messiah. The, the word literally means anointed one, which is what you did with kings. 
Jesus is the promised king, the king of all kings, whom God appointed to rule our world forever with justice and power. He's the one promised from the line of David who would rule and establish God's kingdom and rule it eternally because he himself will live eternally. This promised king also wouldn't just be chosen by God, he would also be God's very son, divine in his own being. He's not just some generic king out there, he's the king of every one of us, whether we know it or not. There is no one like this. It is staggering who Jesus is. He is the Christ. But our passage says even more. Second, we see Jesus is the glorious Son of God who will save his people. Have a look at verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and James and John and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. It's an incredible description of what's normally called the transfiguration because Jesus changed. He he becomes so bright that you can hardly look at him. It's like trying to look at the sun. Why? Verse 32. So they could see his glory. That's a huge moment. Jesus revealing a glimpse of his glory, radiating the fullness of the glory of God on that mountain. But it's actually not that Jesus changed. It's just that for a moment, his appearance reflected reality. The reality that Jesus is the fullness of God in all his glory. It's astonishing. Could you just imagine being there? What would it be like? And then we see the Old Testament figures. Moses and Elijah turn up. What's going on there? Well, I think at least two things... See, they both had an encounter with God. Moses had an encounter with God on a mountain. And afterwards, he had to cover his face because his face was shining with the reflected glory of God. People could not look at it. Here, Jesus isn't shining reflected glory. He's displaying his own glory. It's incredible. But also, Moses and Elijah are one way of summing up the whole Old Testament. Moses, the lawgiver, and Elijah, the prophet. The point is that all of the law, all of the prophets, all of the Bible points to Jesus. He's the fulfillment of it all. What a man. And they have a conversation. Did you notice what they talk about? Have a look at verse 30. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. What did they talk about? They spoke of his departure. Now, the word there for departure, it's literally the word exodus. They spoke about his exodus, which is a reference back to the biggest moment in the Old Testament for God's people. Uh, Exodus is when God saved Israel out of slavery. In this amazing moment, he saved his people out of Egypt and made them his very own. It was a life-saving, life-changing moment for Israel. And here, Jesus is speaking about a new exodus, a better exodus. More than a nation saved from slavery in Egypt, his mission to save the whole world. 
from slavery to sin. Jesus is talking about something truly monumental and also a little weird to us. It sounds very strange to say, I'm a slave, doesn't it? I have no idea what sin even is. I'm a slave to it. The reality the Bible holds out is that each and every one of us is a slave to sin. Sin is to reject, to rebel against the God who made us and we're enslaved by it. We can't help but do it. The desire to live for ourselves, do whatever we want. It's the heart of all of us to live without God, to ignore him like he's dead to us and doesn't matter. And it's a slavery that will put us under God's judgment and lead to death. It's awful. But Jesus says he's bringing a new exodus, a new moment where he'll save people from slavery to sin, the thing we need most. Jesus is remarkable, isn't he? In every sense of the word, he's the Christ of God, the glorious son of God who radiates his glory, the one who'll save his people. How will he do it? Well, that's the third thing we learn about Jesus. He's the Christ of God, the glorious Son of God, who came to suffer, to die, and to rise. Have a look at verse 22. The Son of Man, he's talking about himself. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day rise again. Jesus the Christ, the eternal king, came to die. Does that take your breath away? It's staggering. And it's the heart of Christianity that Jesus is God, the perfect and eternal king who deserves nothing but eternity, receiving the praise and glory of everything he made. And yet he came to what he made to suffer and die at the hands of his own creation. To die for the people he made so they can be saved and be with him in glory forever. It's extraordinary. Jesus is the king of kings who would take a crown of thorns. He's the one dressed in dazzling white who would be hung naked on a cross. The one who stood between Moses and Elijah in glory and yet would be hung between two criminals on a cross. He's the eternal son of God, lived in perfect relationship with his father eternally and yet would cry on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he did it for you. This is who Jesus is. Are you blown away by him? Do you get why getting him is so significant? It's because he is so significant. And because nothing is more significant than what he has done. Who do you say I am? Who do you say Jesus is? It's desperately important to know. Because if this is who Jesus is, it changes everything. If we get who Jesus is, nothing can be the same. Which is exactly what Jesus goes on to say. I think it's fascinating that Jesus doesn't go on to make a long appeal about why we should follow him. He works hard to show us and tell us who he is. And then the question isn't, should I follow him? 
The only question is, how? If you get the greatness, if you get the glory and the love of Jesus, the only thing that makes sense is to follow him. There's nothing better, nothing else we can do but follow him. And so how do you follow him? What does it look like? Well, Jesus tells us, point two, how do you follow this man? Have a look at verse 23. And he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, follow me. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me. There is no person unable to follow Jesus and receive the blessings that come with it. No one is too far gone. No one has too much of a past or has been a hypocrite for too long. No one is too unimportant, too young or too old. No intellectual ability too low. If anyone would come after me, it's an extraordinary truth. You can follow him. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. What's a cross? Uh, We might think it's a bit of jewellery some people wear, uh, something you maybe put on an old building that's heritage listed, maybe an ambulance. Uh, But in the first century, it was an instrument of death. If you saw someone carrying a cross, the thing you knew was you weren't going to see them again. It's like saying, take an electric chair around with you wherever you go. Carry that needle that they use to put things to death. Take that with you. Take that up daily. Jesus is using an image to say, if you're going to follow me, you need to die every day. Die to yourself. Die to your old way of life where you're the king, where you live in selfishness, where you ignore Jesus. That life is dead. It's finished. And now every day is lived with Jesus as king, not yourself. It's a call to die to our dreams, to our desires. They have no regard, no bearing on my life anymore. Instead, each day is lived prayerfully asking, what would you have me do? Am I using my time how you'd have me use it? Am I using my possessions how you'd have me use them? my gifts, my money? Am I conducting my friendships the way you'd have me conduct them? Am I working in the way you'd have me work? Complete submission to the lordship of Jesus, dying to myself. Jesus says that is what it's like. That's what it looks like to follow me. If you're a Christian, how are you going with that? I take it that like me, It's easy to think following Jesus is about getting salvation, finding a church where you'll be well-loved and supported, and then continuing to live, having the same dreams, maybe similar dreams, but just a bit less ambitious than you had before. Jesus has changed some of my dreams. They're a bit different now. They're a Christian version, a dream that I've always had for my life anyway, but now they're flavoured differently. No, Jesus says following him is to die completely Different. Someone else now has total claim on my life. My life is not my own. What would it look like for you to have, let genuinely let Jesus have total claim on your life? To die to the things that you want and live with open palms before him. I'm just going to give you a moment to consider, pray, 
maybe write something down that it might look like for you if you were to die to self and follow Jesus. I was going to give you a moment. following Jesus, it'll cost you everything. It'll cost you your life. It's not easy. But if you get who Jesus is, there's nothing else you want to do. You realise there's nothing else that's right to do. If Jesus is the Christ, the King of Kings, then it's right that he demand us living as his subjects. He's more worthy of living for than we are for ourselves. But that's not all. Jesus gives us more reasons why. Have a look at verse 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? The great truth at the heart of existence is a great paradox. The only way to save your life is to lose it. If you want to hold on to your life and remain unaffected by Jesus, you will lose it. You'll lose your very soul. The only way to gain life, true life, is to give it away, hand it over to Jesus. Jesus does some maths for us, for those of us who like to draw flowcharts instead of numbers. He says, he gives us an equation, what good is it to gain the whole world and yet lose yourself, your very soul? Of course, it's no good. doesn't compare. If you're here and you're someone who doesn't follow Jesus yet, again, it's great you're here. This is the most important thing in your life you can hear. If you get Jesus and follow him, if you trust him with your life, it will save your life. There's no other way. If you're someone who does follow Jesus, keep going. Nothing else is worth it. No other equation kind of works out like that. I love this quote. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus finishes with a final reason that gets us to look to the final day, and it's both a warning and an encouragement. Have a look at verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Following Jesus looks like not being ashamed of him. It's a great warning because it's a great temptation. It's tempting to be ashamed of Jesus, to be ashamed of what he says in his word, to not follow him because it's hard, to take up your cross less and less until you're not following Jesus at all. Jesus says, if that's where you end up, he will be ashamed of you when he comes in glory on that final day. That is a terrifying prospect. But the encouragement is that the reverse is also true. For those who continue to follow Jesus, who aren't ashamed, we will follow in his footsteps, which is suffering now, take up your cross, 
and glory then, sharing in the glory of God forever. So how do you follow Jesus? Take up your cross daily. Lose your life. Die to self. Give yourself fully to Jesus. Trust him and live for him alone. Because giving your life to him is the only way to save it. It's so good. It's so worth it. But you need to know the cost is high. You've signed up to lose your life. But in doing so, you'll gain it and so much more. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now we see more examples of what it looks like to follow Jesus fleshed out in the rest of the chapter. We're not going to go there. We'll dive into those things through the rest of the series because that's really what the rest of this little bit of Luke is about. How do you follow Jesus? We see things like it looks like listening to Jesus, recognising that true greatness in God's kingdom is to become the least, to become a servant. But the heart we need to get to get it all right is we need to get who Jesus is. We need to know that he's the Christ, God in all his glory. He's the king of kings, the fulfillment of all things, the one who came to suffer and die for us. And the call to any who would come after him is to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him. Because if you try to save your life apart from Jesus, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for him, you'll save it. More accurately, he'll save it. And when Jesus comes in glory to judge the world, it's those who have recognised who he really is and so trust him and so give up everything to follow him who will see the kingdom of God and share in his glory. God wanted to teach you something this morning that would change how you do and think about everything. Do you see it? When you get the implication of who Jesus is, it will cost you your life. And it'll save your life. And you'll know there's nothing better on earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and are blown away by Jesus, your Son. Christ, the King, the Glorious One, who rules over all and yet came to serve us all. Would give up heaven and die the death we deserve that he might save our lives. Help us to be in awe of your son, as we deserve to be, and help us to follow him. Help us to die to self and live for Jesus. Amen.